It is, uh, man, it's good to be back. Week two in senior high. You guys are awesome. Um, it's really, you know, <clears throat> for, it was weird. The other day I was like, yeah, last week was the first Wednesday night ever since I've been on staff that I was not leading worship. And uh, it's kind of nice sometimes to be able to just worship with, with you guys. Um, and so it's been a privilege. But anyway, uh, last week I introduced what our Wednesday night series was, is going to be. And I know that some of you were not here. Um, but what it is, is a series about knowing and fighting indwelling sin. Knowing and fighting our flesh. You guys have heard that before, right? The flesh, this internal, original sin. And it's based on a book called The Enemy Within. Um, And to begin tonight, I want to read again a quote from the second page of that book. And here's what the author says. The reason for this book is that the first step to fighting this enemy is to know it and to know it well. And I think that's the reason for the series, is so that we together can learn and know our sin, our indwelling sin, and fight it. But we've got to know it well. And so that's the goal, for us to walk together um, through how to fight this enemy within. And as the writer says, we've got to get to know it. So we're going to spend the next several weeks getting to know this indwelling sin. And let me tell you something. You're going to leave sometimes feeling like you were just in a boxing match with Mike Tyson. I mean, when we were reading through this book, this stuff will wear down your soul. But there is hope. And I hope that you'll get both sides. But just, I want you to be warned going into this. You you might leave sometimes being like, man, that is just hard to hear. That is hard to listen to. But it's the truth. And I think that I would be doing you disservice if I wasn't being honest with you about it. And so tonight, we're going to camp out again in Romans 7. So if you'll open your Bibles to Romans 7. But we're only going to focus on one verse tonight. And it's Romans 7, verse 21. I read the entire um, text last week, but we're just going to talk about this one verse. And here's what it says. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Let me pray uh, to open this up. Father, um, I'm asking you now to change hearts tonight. Father, I'm asking for your spirit to speak through me. Um, Would you uh, allow me to only speak truth? Would you take these preparations, uh, Father, and would they be used not to make myself look good, but to glorify you, Father, Um, I pray that we would have a better understanding of our flesh and that we would leave here tonight with a desire and an urgency to violently war against it. We can't do it on our own, Father, and we are asking your help to do so. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I said last week that I love Romans 7. I love this section in the Scripture because it is so comforting to know that I'm not alone in my battle with my flesh, right? Paul says, 
Why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? And I asked you last week, have you ever had a moment where you just, you said something, you did something, and afterwards you kind of recollected and you thought, I can't believe I just did that. I cannot believe I just said that. Paul wanted the church to know his experience so that we could learn from it, so that we could relate to it, and ultimately grow closer to Christ because of it. It is also the key to us getting to know what he calls this evil that lies close at hand. In the book, um, the author says that the foundation of our knowledge of the power of an indwelling sin in the life of a believer is laid in Paul's own experience. The foundation, the starting point of our knowledge of the power of this indwelling sin is laid in Paul's own experience. So we would be foolish not to look or to start with how Paul dealt with it. It'll tell us how serious we need to be in handling this indwelling sin. Guys, I have four points tonight. Each one being an important truth about indwelling sin. If you will, it's a characteristic about this flesh that we're talking about. And they're all found in our text, which, I, which again is one verse. And that verse again says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Here are the four points from that verse. Point one is our indwelling sin is a law. Point two is that we find this law inside us. Point three is that we find this law when we are at our best. And fourth, this law of sin never rests. So first, our indwelling sin is a law. Guys, I mentioned this briefly last week. Um, I touched on it, but I want to spend some time unpacking it tonight. What does Paul mean when he says, so I find it to be a law? Well, he uses law as a metaphor to express how powerful and controlling our flesh is in our lives. But in order for us to understand what that means, we have to answer this question. How are laws powerful and controlling? If Paul picked a law as the metaphor that he wants to use to explain to us the magnitude of this indwelling sin, then we have to first look at that metaphor and really camp out and go, well, what about laws are controlling? What about laws are powerful? So think about what a law does. A law does several things, but one thing that a law does is it commands us to do something that's required. Um, for example, it is a requirement that if you're riding in a car in the state of Tennessee, that you have a seatbelt. That's the law. That is the requirement. You are commanded to do so. As of last month, it is a requirement that every driver in Tennessee drive hands-free. My least favorite law because I don't have Bluetooth, and so I'm like driving with speakerphone. I, I feel like an old person. No offense to, to uh, any of you in the room, but because um, you guys aren't old, and I love you. Um, uh, anyway... So, <laughs> whew, all right. Um, laws are put in place to command people to do something. 
Uh, the second thing that a law does is it commands us not to do something that's prohibited. For example, you're not allowed to leave here and go murder somebody. That's the law. You're not allowed to do something that's prohibited. You're not allowed to break into someone's house because murdering and trespassing are illegal. They're prohibited. A third thing that a law does, in some cases, it entices us to obey with offers of reward. Now, this is more talking about, a better example of this is in biblical law, all right? So biblically, in Deuteronomy chapter five, God promised his people that if they lived according to his law, that they would live long in the land that he was going to give them. They obeyed based on a reward. The closest thing I could think of when we, when we think of laws in our time is, um, you know, when tax season rolls around. If you're honest with the IRS when filing your taxes, you're probably going to get some money back. And that's kind of a reward. Um, so, so it entices us to obey with offers of reward. And the fourth and final thing that a law does is force us to submit to it by using punishment as a penalty for disobeying it. Guys, when we break the law, there are consequences. When you're going 46 down Farmington next to Cameron Brown and that Germantown cop pulls you over, you're going to get a ticket. Nine out of ten times. There is a punishment for breaking the law. If you get pulled over and someone in your car is not wearing a seat belt, you're going to get a seat belt ticket. There are also laws of nature, like gravity, for example. Gravity is a force that makes objects obey its will. I'm standing on this stage, not because I'm, I'm choosing for my feet to be on the stage, but because they're being forced to be, and that's gravity. Every object on the planet obeys the will of gravity. Think about hunger. Think about thirst. If you're hungry, eventually you're going to be forced to eat. If you're thirsty, same thing. Each one forces us to submit to its demands. Guys, do you see how powerful laws are? Just in our lifetime. They control what we do and, and don't do. They lure us into submission with rewards. They threaten us with punishment if we don't follow them. And they force us to submit to their will. So Paul is saying, that's how indwelling sin works. It entices us with promises of fulfilling rewards. Guys, how many things does the culture say, you need this? You're not satisfied? It's because you don't have this. It threatens us with punishment. It whispers in our ear that if we go against the grain and we obey God, that we're going to be humiliated. We're going to be called names. The law of sin is powerful. Second point is this, is we find this law inside of us. In the book, it says, Paul had heard horror stories about sin all his life. 
He had seen countless bony fingers waving in his face to warn him of sin's power. But in Romans 7.21, he moved from cozy theory into troubling experience. He found this law. I love the way that the author says that. He moved from a cozy theory to a troubling experience. It reminded me of a personal experience where the exact same thing happened. Something that I had talked about and heard about forever. Something that I had seen in movies. Something that I never imagined would happen to me became a very scary reality. Six or seven months ago, Whitney and I took Dave Ramsey's financial peace course offered here at Grace Event. Not because we're struggling financially, but we, we were told good things about it. And it's, it teaches you how to manage your money. And it was fantastic. It was great. And one of the things that Dave Ramsey talks about in his class is he says, you know, you know, you know what you need to do to get a little extra money is go through your house, go through all your old stuff and sell everything that you don't use anymore. And we had a lot of stuff to sell. I mean, it was a running joke for a long time. Like on GOL, literally every day we were posting something <laughs> for sale. And people were like, are Max and Whitney like moving? Like, are they just getting rid of all their stuff? It's like, no, we did Dave Ramsey. It's cool. So uh, we're selling all of our stuff. And one of the items that I wanted to sell was this old, terrible pair of Oakleys that I had when I was in like eighth grade. It had been in my drawer for years and years collecting dust and we were selling them for like 15 bucks and so this guy messages Whitney through Facebook on marketplace and he's like I want these glasses so bad and we were like really and he was like yeah you don't understand I have a really hard time finding glasses that will fit my face and these glasses I think will will do it perfectly he's like please hold on to them and we're like Dude, nobody's asked about those glasses in like seven years. They're yours. You can have the glasses. And so um, we give him our address, and he says that he's going to come at 5.30 that night. And so 5.30 rolls around, and next thing you know, it's 9 p.m., and we haven't heard from him. And so he messages Whitney. He's like, hey, so sorry. You got caught up at work. And this kind of went on for a couple days. You know, we always had some excuse. At one point, he said he couldn't drive. At one point, he asked us to meet him somewhere, and we're like, Dude, no, like if you want the glasses, just come and get the glasses. And it just kept getting weirder and weirder. He, he started to like kind of get mad. One time he asked for her phone number and she was like, no, I don't give out my phone number, you know, on Marketplace. And eventually I was like, hey, listen, you just need to tell him that I decided to keep the glasses and so we're not going to sell them, deal's off, you know, Sorry. So she does, and she tells him, and, and she's like, sorry, my husband said he's going to keep them. I'm really, I'm really sorry, uh, yada, yada, yada. And so he flips out, and he's like begging again. He's like, please let me get the glasses. I mean, seriously, again, nothing fits my face, but those glasses are going to be amazing. And so Whitney's like, all right, I'll leave them on the porch till 6 tonight, and if you don't show up, sorry, you know? And so shocking, the guy does not show up. So 10.30 p.m. rolls around, and we go upstairs, and our bedroom's upstairs, and Ava's asleep across the hall, and I look at my phone, and I have a missed call, and it's the, it's the phone number to our complex. We live in a townhome, and so when people come to our gate, they can search for our last name and call that number, 
and it goes to my phone. Well, I didn't have my phone, and so I missed the call. And so I jokingly was like, what if it's the guy like coming to get the sunglasses? And we were like, nah, like that's like she's like, stop. And I was like, yeah, I'm just kidding. But then like I like go over to the window, I'm like on my knees, like looking out. And I'm not even kidding, y'all. I see a guy and his friend walking around with a laptop looking for our house. I'm not kidding. And I was like, Whitney, that's the guy. I was like, and she like pulls up a picture. She's like, that's him. I was like, I know. And so, I mean, it it was freaky at the time though. I mean, it was weird. Um, And so next thing you know, we hear banging on the front door. And I'm not talking like a knock, but I'm talking like pounding on the door. And Whitney freaks out. She's like, you got to call the police. And I was like, I, I, I guess I got to call the police. You know, like I have a, I have a daughter upstairs and a wife and, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I call the cops and I'm like, hey, some lunatic is banging on my door. I was like, we, we were going to sell him something on Facebook. And then we called it off and now he's here and I don't know what to do. And she's like, okay, we'll send somebody out, you know, Memphis police. And so we go downstairs because we, we don't hear the banging for a second. And we're like, maybe he's gone. So Wit walks up to the window next to the door. And y'all, she makes eye contact with the guy. <laughs> he's still there. Eye contact. She flips out. She runs in the kitchen, grabs a, like a butcher knife. <laughs> I swear, we run upstairs. And no joke, Whitney is standing in the hall with the butcher knife going like this. And I'm just like shaking because I'm like, what am I going to do if he breaks in? I'm going to have to stab a guy. Like, I'm going to stab a guy tonight. True story, I promise. I'm not exaggerating. Ask, ask Julianne Scholes. I've, to, I've told her this story before. And so, um, so 45 minutes later, <laughs> the Memphis police show up. 45 minutes later. They find the two guys, and <clears throat> it took a very long time. I think by the time they found him, it was like 1 a.m. and uh, something like that. And they were, oh, no, no, no. They, by the time they got done, they were like searching their car. And, they, and it turns out that the guys were super strung out on drugs. Like, he was like, that guy's not going to remember tomorrow morning. Which made it a little bit more scary, because I was like, so that guy wouldn't have been afraid of anything. And so... I mean, guys, I just kept thinking to myself, like, if he breaks in, like, I got to fight it. I got to fight somebody, you know? And I'm like, I hope Ava doesn't wake up, because that's going to be bad. And that's when I realized that something that I never thought would happen became a reality. And that's kind of what it's like when someone finds the law of sin in them. It rattles you. It goes from a cozy theory to a troubling experience. And all of a sudden, you are aware of how powerful it is in you. And you're willing to do whatever it takes to kill it. One of the things in the book, it says, it's one thing to listen to a lecture about AIDS, how it spreads, what it does to a body, how invincible it is. It's another thing to hear your doctor say to you, you're HIV positive, I'm sorry. 
And so that gives us an idea of what Paul was experiencing and feeling in Romans 7 when he cries out, who will deliver me from this body of death? It was as if Paul was just told, I'm sorry, you're HIV positive. It's coming to terms with the reality of this flesh that I'm talking to you guys about and the power and control that it has in your life. So it's a law, number one. Number two, we find this law in our life. Thirdly, we find this law when we're at our best. We see in verse 21, Paul says he wanted to do right. Guys, he doesn't discover his flesh when he's on a backslide or when his relationship with God is just so-so. But he was aware of it even when he most wanted to serve God. While indwelling sin is incredibly powerful in the life of a Christian, it does not have authority over them. Because if you are a Christian, you belong to Christ. You are a child of God. God has taken your heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. And now you want to please God. You want to glorify God. Non-believers don't ever want to please God because they're enemies of God. But when, even when we want to do right, when we want to pray, when you want to meditate on Scripture, when you want to have quiet time, the law of sin meets you head on in those moments. That leads me to our last point. The law of sin never rests. Verse 21, he says, when I want to do right, I desire to do right, I desire to obey God, but evil lies close at hand. Guys, I know I'm not the only one that's ever been praying and just this horrific thought pops in my head. Has that happened to you before? And you're like, I'm praying. Like, how does that even happen? I'm so focused on God and all of a sudden my mind is wandering and I'm distracted and I would rather be doing anything but this. Or you fall asleep or you're exhausted or you, you open the word and it's just like, man, I don't want to do this. There's this constant tug of war going on between your overall desire to please God and your indwelling sin. It is constant combat. It is pounding each other all the time. Paul wrote this in the letter to uh, the Galatians. Galatians 5.17, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So this enemy within, it is a law. It is powerful. It is controlling. We find it inside of us. A cozy theory becomes a harsh, scary reality when you find it inside of you. Thirdly, we find it even when we want to do good. And lastly, it never rests. Guys, those are four things that we need to know. I've been talking this whole time about, I'm saying we've got to know it. That's what you need to know about it. 
You need to know those four things before you enter into battle with it. And now you see what I mean when I told you at the beginning that you're going to feel like you're on the ropes, like you're in a boxing match. And you leave and you're like, I'm just, it's just exhausting. I mean, all Max did was talk about indwelling sin and how awful it is. And I just feel terrible. And it's daunting and I get it. But I want to read to you what Paul writes. He's at the end of the, of the battle. He's been on the ropes. He's cried out for help. Here's what he says in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Guys, Paul's fight, we get a, a picture of the fight in Romans 7. He says, who will rescue me from this anguish, this pain? But then we see the victory, or at least we see a glimpse of what's to come in 2 Timothy and it ends with the crown of righteousness. So as Christians, yes, it's hard. But we've got to fight knowing what is at the end. And I'll leave you guys with that tonight. Father, um, it is scary uh, to read about the nature of our flesh the tendencies, the fact that even when we desire to serve you and obey you, it meets us head on. But Lord Jesus, we thank you for the victory that is because of the cross. We thank you that the ultimate penalty for sin, which is death, and eternal condemnation will never come upon us as believers because you defeated the grave. Father, for those in this room who do not have a relationship with you, those who have not found this sin, those who this cozy theory has not become a reality, would you do so? Father, would you open people's eyes to see just how wicked and deceitful their hearts are in their desperate need for a Savior. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.